0: This is the Baymont Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host Brent Billings. Today we look at the gospel of Luke and wrestle with the many perspectives
1: regarding his audience and his agenda. Yeah, so this is our, we're halfway through the gospel. It's going to be our third of four. If your Bible has more than four gospels, let us know. We're only going to be looking at the four that are in ours. Enough with my Bible jokes. Let's get on with it. All right, we talked about Matthew. Matthew, we said his agenda was what, Brent? The mumzer. The mumzer. He was talking as a... As a Jew to Jews. Absolutely. And then Mark, he's also a... A Jew, but this, he's
0: speaking to Romans. To Romans.
1: And so that was his agenda, was making sure that his gospel spoke to a Roman worldview. It's definitely going to need to be different than the one that is shared with the Jewish worldview. And, uh, and so that was that. Now, we kind of talked about this before. We're going to talk about Luke today. Uh, the p- uh, predominant popular idea, we kind of talked about it last podcast, is that Mark is the shortest... Mark and Matthew are so similar that they share some kind of material. Many have called it Q, source Q. Um, And uh, because Mark is the shortest and the briefest, the popular opinion is Mark was written first. Uh, Matthew then writes a gospel based off of Mark's material and the source material Q and... um, and expands on that. And it's the second gospel that's written. And then, uh, many people believe that Luke comes along. Popular opinion was taught to me and, uh, in many ways still is today that Luke comes along to, um, uh, to tell a gospel that is more chronological, more detailed, more, um, you see, Matthew and Mark, we've already talked about it. They're willing to like shape their gospel. And Luke cared about details. Luke cared about accuracy. And so Luke went to write a more accurate, a more orderly gospel that's a popular opinion. They also, a popular opinion is that Luke wrote to Gentiles. And a couple different reasons that people think that. Luke was himself a Gentile. In fact, a lot of people often say, I, I've said before in the podcast, the Bible was written as an Eastern book and it's written by Eastern authors. Nobody wrote me any emails over that, but I would assume that there are some Bible students that went, no, 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 no. There's one Gentile author, Luke, Luke is a Gentile author, and I would argue Luke is not a Gentile author. Luke is following the disciples around um, long before the Jerusalem council, long before they've made decisions about Gentiles, and Luke is not a problem. Like, nobody's talking about Luke, which tells me that Luke was a proselyte. Luke grew up Gentile, but Luke was Jewish. Um, Luke converted. Luke took on circumcision. Luke ate kosher. Luke wasn't a God-fearer a Gentile worshiper of the God of Israel, Adonai. But Luke was a Gentile who converted and was incredibly Jewish, probably went through intensive Jewish training. We know that Luke was a doctor, which, by the way, if Luke was a doctor and he was a Gentile, what can we pretty safely assume? We can't definitively state this, but what could we almost assume, Brent? He probably worked in the Asclepian. Absolutely. He's probably an Asclepian priest um, in his former life, Uh, very trained uh, would have been very academic, um, very intellectual, I imagine. And when he converted, uh, very capable and able to learn a new worldview and catch up. So I I don't just go, well, Luke was a Gentile author. No, no, no. Luke is a—listen, if you are a proselyte, if you con- if you convert in the Jewish world, you are as Jewish as if you were born. You take on circumcision. You are a son of Abraham. You are as—we'll talk about that more in session four. But you are as Jewish as if you were born Jewish. So you can't, in their world, call Luke a Gentile author. If Luke is a proselyte, and we're not told he's a proselyte, but I think it's a safe assumption uh, based on the context. Luke is a Jewish author. He has a Gentile background, pagan roots, but he's Jewish, and he's a Jewish. And the other reason that we thought he was writing to a Gentile audience is because he writes to Theophilus. You have the first four verses of Luke, don't you, Brent? Yes.
0: Yes.
1: So that opening paragraph to the Gospel of Luke seems to just tell us all the details that we need to know. seems like a pretty open-shut case. I never really questioned it. When I was taught it, I read that and went, yeah, absolutely. Theophilus is definitely a Greek name, means friend of God, uh, Theophilos, uh, friend of God, God's friend. Um, And it's a Greek name. But we don't know if he was Greek. He could have been, what kind of a Jew, Brent? A proselyte. Or even, even let's just be even more Jewish. What kind of Jew have we run into Jews before that had Greek names? Oh, sure. A Herodian. You could have just been a Herodian, could have had Greek parents that loved and a friend of God. Like if I were a Jew that cared about my Jewish roots but still was Greek and Hellenistic, friend of God would seem like a pretty typical name. Um, and it could just be, it could be not even an actual person themselves. Like Theophilus, friend of God, that could be a euphemism for the church. Um, for the brothers and sisters of Christ, as a as a body, as a, a friend of God, it's just a pretty generic term. We don't know who Theophilus was. He's also going to be referenced in the Book of Acts. Um, did Did Luke really write this entire gospel for one person named Theophilus? That would be a little outrageous. It might have been directed towards him, intended to be shared with others. It could be a person. It could be. So these aren't definitive cases. It's kind of like what
0: we the way we talk about communion. Where we have an open table and we say, "If you call yourself a follower of Jesus, yeah, we right. want you to to join us." Yeah. If you call yourself a friend of God, if you
1: call yourself the this is an account for you, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, and when you read the rest of that paragraph, so it made sense. It made sense to step away from this and go, "Okay, Luke is a Gentile writing to a Gentile audience." He says in the first few verses he wants to give an orderly account. It seemed like an open shut case until you actually get to studying the synoptic gospels and going about that work of trying to quote unquote harmonize them, you realize that Luke isn't the most chronological, not even, not at all. And he's not doing a very good job of writing an orderly detailed account. Like that's, he's really not doing as good of a job as we would want him to. So it gets to be really confusing when you get into it. You're like, well, wait a minute. If this is what he set out to do, he's not doing a very good job. Well, there's another theory. Um, that's put out there. I wouldn't call it a widespread theory, but it is a very, very respected theory. It's put out by a guy by the name of M.D. Goulder, who is uh, out of Harvard, as in the Harvard, like that guy. Um, he it, He's going to be a very, he's a respected scholar, literary scholar on a lot of fronts. Um, but he has a theory. I wouldn't say that's caught wildfire, that everybody holds it. But I've read his stuff I don't agree with everything that he wrote, but his material on Luke, uh, I am signed, sealed, delivered on it. Like I am totally sold on his theory on the gospel of Luke. doesn't mean that we're right. He's right. doesn't mean that my agreement with him is right, but uh, I'll tell you as a teacher here on this podcast, I really love his theory. Uh, His theory can be found in a book and it's going to be a lot bigger than the gospel of Luke. And you're going to find a lot of stuff in that book that I don't agree with, um, but his theory can be found in a book called The Evangelist Calendar. We're going to link it in the show notes by M.D. Goulder, The Evangelist Calendar. And this is an interesting book. I actually have a copy. I had an incredible Bema participant, a student, Mama Liz, from the old days of Bema 1.0. Mama Liz gave me a copy of this book. and she gave it to me, she said, this book has been out of print for quite a while. It's incredibly expensive. Um... But I know you'll love it. So she gave it to me. One of the most cherished, precious gifts I've ever received. I went and jumped on Amazon, and I could only find at that point I could only find a copy on Amazon for about eight hundred. I think it was eight, just under nine hundred dollars uh copy on Amazon. No nothing else on there. And I went, holy smokes, this book is expensive. Since then, I have had all kinds of experiences. One of my we've had Tyler on the podcast before. He was in a recent class I was teaching and he pulled up a uh, a copy for twenty nine ninety five on Amazon. I said buy that immediately. Um I don't know. I don't know if there's different editions. I don't know if there are people out there who are just not aware of what they have. I don't know what the explanation is. But you just looked just now and there was a copy for nine hundred dollars, correct? Indeed. And then you found one as cheap as? $82. $82. Still a steal of a deal. Pretty about, expensive
0: for a book. Yeah, about It'd 92% be it, off. but be a tough pill to swallow. Yes. Uh, for most people, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I cherish my hard copy of this book because it is unbelievably uh, well done. Goulder's theory um, is that Luke, in fact, is not writing a book. Uh, a gospel for Gentiles to try to fill in the details or to give it an orderly account. And he goes back to those opening verses and he makes some observations. Uh, Go ahead and read those again, Brent, and I'll stop you as you read it. Go ahead and read that, that verse again. Many have
0: undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the
1: word. Okay. Now that phrase there, servants of the word... The Greek is the same Greek that's used in the Septuagint to talk about the chazanim. And the chazanim are those synagogue custodians. They are the people who were responsible for keeping the word. Now, if you can remember, Brent, did a typical synagogue have the whole Tanakh? No. No, you only had... Maybe one scroll. Okay, so the chazan of the synagogue would be responsible for knowing what the other scrolls said. Because you would need to know... Like you could walk 13 miles to a neighboring village to look at the scroll, but if you didn't have that kind of luxury or you could look at the Hazan and say, if I remember right, Deuteronomy says, and you would recite that passage out of Deuteronomy. And the Hazan would say, you're correct. I think you're missing one word if I remember it correctly. It says this and not that. Your Hazan would be the expert. Your Hazan would be responsible for keeping the text, even the text that you don't have he would need to be a, an expert a me- somebody that has the text completely memorized and committed to memory that's your hazan so when luke says i've done all this work i've talked to these eyewitnesses and goulder's theory is he says i've went around to all the synagogues and i've talked to the hazanim to make sure that we have the word not just the words of jesus correct because in that in that uh, area i believe they would have had um, uh, a responsibility to keep Jesus's words intact. But I think he's also saying something even deeper that Goulder will get into. But then it goes on and it says, go ahead and, go ahead and keep reading. With this in mind,
0: since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an
1: orderly account for you. Okay, so right there, instead of the word orderly, Goulder points out, that's not what the Greek says. The Greek does not say orderly. The Greek says ordered or maybe a better translation would be sequenced. And so if I could summarize a very long work by Goulder, I would summarize it this way. Goulders' theory is that Luke wrote a gospel that was supposed to be read as a companion reading in the synagogues. That's why he's talking to the Chazanim. I want in the synagogues, when we read the parasha and the haftarah, I want us to read this record too to remember the words of the rabbi. He's writing a companion volume, and maybe not to be read in the official synagogue service, but he's reading—he's writing a gospel that has a section that is supposed to be read in conjunction with the parasha and the haftarah. Now, just to review, I think we've talked about it in passing, but the parasha was what, Brent? That's the Torah portion for the that, week. So every week at synagogue, there's a reading from the Torah. You read through the Torah, how how much? Uh, once a year. Once a year. Once every calendar year, you're reading through Torah. And you have a reading, a, a section of reading that's called your parasha reading for the week. And then you have the haftarah. What was the haftarah reading, Brent? That is the rest of the... Jewish scriptures, and you go through that every three years. Right. So every three years, you're reading through the total Haftarah. It does not cover every single passage, every single verse, and the rest of the Tanakh, but it does cover the breadth of the rest of Tanakh. There's a reading, there's a parasha, and a Haftarah reading in every synagogue service. It takes you three years to read through the Haftarah, and in that same time, you have read through the parasha three times, because you're reading through that once a year. Hopefully that makes sense to our readers. Or to our listeners, excuse me. Now, because of that, Luke is writing something that goes along with the parasha. Gulder has taken the time to break out what he believes the section readings would be, and in that book, the Evangelist Calendar is a pull-out, a multi-page pull-out diagram at the back of the book where he has outlined. He actually believes the whole New Testament has been written this way. I think that's a stretch. I think he got a little bit too happy with his idea. Um, personally. There I speak against a Harvard professor. Um, but his material on Luke, I have used it. I don't think that he always has his passage breaks perfectly nailed down, but by and large, it is astounding. Um, I have gone through the Gospel of Luke and read the section and then looked at what Goulder said would have been the parashah reading for that week, and it lines up brilliantly. It's like the life and ministry of Jesus is speaking to your parasha reading. It is unbelievable. Unbelievable. If Goulder's theory is correct, how Luke uh, was able to design his gospel to do that. And I don't know if I'm able to explain it well on a podcast. Um but and you, and some of you will just have to Buy a $82 copy of this book and see the diagram for yourself. Everybody always writes me and says, can you text me a photo? And this book is so rare. I have a respect for the copyright on it. I say no. If you ever want to visit my house and copy it down by hand, I'll let you do that. But- and I think in about 30 years, the copyright will expire. So oh, you really? can get back to us. Oh, wow.
0: Do copyrights expire? Do they do that? Uh, yeah. Wow. And it's, it's complicated how it works. But- okay.
1: In general, it's like 70-ish years. All right. Stay subscribed to the Beimah Session 3. We'll let you know yeah, right. when it happens. <laughs> yeah. We'll drop an episode out there. Anyway, um, so yeah, just a huge fan of Goulder's work there. But, um, but this is like,
0: I mean, Jesus could even have structured, like they go to the synagogue on a Saturday and they're, they're hearing this Torah portion and they're hearing this Haftarah portion and then they're talking about that the entire week. Absolutely. So Luke could just be taking a record of like, okay, well, when we went to synagogue this week and we were talking about this, like, this is what we talked
1: about in connection to this. Absolutely. It wouldn't have been that crazy to do because I'm sure Jesus' ministry, he was trying to fulfill the partial portions for the week. It's what they were studying. And even if Jesus
0: was doing other stuff in the midst of that, like three years of Jesus' ministry, three rounds of... Absolutely. It's like, hey, every time we talk about Genesis 48, Jesus mentions this. Right.
1: Absolutely. So it it just, if you ever get a chance to have that diagram next to you, it will revolutionize the way you're reading Luke because you're reading Luke and you're like, man, why did he do that? And all of a sudden you pull out the parasha and the haftarah readings and you go, oh my goodness, that is absolutely brilliant. We had a Beyma group in Albany, New York that did a study of Luke and uh, he was good. He would, uh, Zach is our leader there. He would write me a Facebook message probably half of the time and he would just say, hey, what was the parasha reading for this section? So, I would send him the parasha and the haftaras for whatever passage of Luke they were studying. And it was just incredible. Every time we would do it, it was like, oh, look at what that does to the parasha reading. So, so good. Um, now, in order to lend some more credence to this theory, I will say this Luke is not, like, if Luke is just writing a Gentile gospel to give an orderly chronological account, it should just be about details and order. But in fact, Luke has all kinds of depth to his gospel that I never truly appreciated. Luke has very Jewish themes. Um, Luke's, one, of, one of Luke's major themes is that Jesus is the second Moses. One of the passages in Deuteronomy, I will send you one like Moses. The Jews of the second temple period said, we're waiting for that promised prophet, the one who would be like Moses. One of the things that they would call Messiah, Mashiach, was the second Moshe. Um, We're waiting for the second Moses. That was one of Luke's themes. Um, And if you really want to see, Luke is full of chiasms, parallelisms, Eastern literary tools. Like if you want to read another great book, you need to read, excuse me, a book by Kenneth Bailey titled, it's a two volume work. There's two books, one called uh, Poet and Peasant and another book called Through Peasants' Eyes. And you can find a book where both volumes are included in one book. And I believe that's one we can link in the show notes here. Um, But it's basically Kenneth Bailey's literary scholarship on the Gospel of Luke. And he will show you chiasm after chiasm after... If you can read it, it's very academic, it's very heady. If you can read Kenneth Bailey, it will blow your mind what Luke is doing. Um. From a literary perspective, if Luke is doing that kind of literary depth, along with creating a parasha reading, a companion reading, this this work is astounding. It's it's a piece of art. It is unbelievable, um, and, and it also gives credence this idea that it's not a gen, It's not written to a gentile audience, because if it's a parasha reading, who's the audience going to be, Brent? Yeah, Jews. Yeah, Jews, because they're going to have to be in. You gotta you gotta know what what's happening in the synagogue every week you're gonna be in synagogue so this is gonna be a jewish audience or at least god fears that would attend synagogue but it's gonna be a very jewish centric audience um and what would give more credence to that is the fact that he's using a bunch of chiasms and eastern literary tools if that's true i mean we're not talking he's not writing that for a bunch of gentiles they have no idea what to do with that um so i think that lends credence to this theory that it's a jewish audience not a gentile audience but alas i digress I'll let you wrestle with the gospel of Luke. There's a bunch of different theories out there. I love to share Goulder's theory. It's the one that has won my attention uh, and my preference for the time being. Um, I actually have, as I study Luke more and more, I think Luke was the last gospel to be written. In my opinion, Matthew first, Mark second, John third, and Matthew uh, much later, or excuse me, not Matthew, Luke much later at the end, which calls into question authorship a little bit. But I still think that's where I place it. But well, I mean, it says right there in the opening
0: statement, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Right. So it wouldn't make sense for him to be the first, certainly. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) And and it's actually pretty interesting because it's like many, yeah, not just a couple people. Matthew and
1: Mark have taken up, yeah. And they pro- and again, source material, Q, sure. probably a collection of, probably not one person that wrote down Q, probably a collection of many people. That just lends credence to some of those other theories there. But you're right. This does not come, this does not show up first. This shows up later. And I believe at the, towards the end. Did every apostle have their own account that they were kind of working on? Well, I kind of, I, I would doubt it. Maybe we'll find that out. Who knows? But I would, I would doubt it. But yeah, those are my thoughts on Luke. Pretty academic, not a whole lot of profound whatever. But boy, if you ever get a chance to get your hands on that material and you agree with it, it'll it'll blow your mind when you read and study the Gospel of Luke. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I feel like maybe
0: there's a listener out there in a in a city large enough with a library large enough that absolutely. maybe one of
1: these copies is just available absolutely. freely. Yep. I just had, um, we had Megan for a few episodes here, right? Her husband, Chris, he just wrote me. Um, we just talked on the phone, uh, last week and he was talking about how he is, um, he asked a library in Raleigh, North Carolina to find the book and get the book at their library, which these days is something you can totally do. Even if they don't have the book, you can ask a library to get it, especially at a university and say, I'm looking for this book and they can get it in. So yeah, utilize. We always forget with the internet. We forget about those institutions called libraries. Crazy thing. Places with a bunch of books. Yep wild
0: he who has ears let him hear i guess right (laughs) (laughs) uh all right who has a library card let him read that's right uh well anyway we'd we'd love to hear your thoughts on the book of luke uh so get in touch with us you can find marty on twitter at marty solomon i'm at eibcb we've got a baymont establishment facebook page Uh, you can go to baymontestablishment.com get in touch there we have a contact page Uh, but we'd love to hear what you think so thanks for joining us on the baymont podcast we'll talk to you again soon